Hi guys, hope everyone's well and welcome back to the Improvement Podcast. So in episode 141, the last episode of 2023, I'm going to touch on things I've pretty much learned slash changed my mind on. thought it'd be kind of valuable to just discuss things that I once may have thought was important or I once may have thought weren't important that I've kind of changed my views on or adjust my belief on. And changing your mind, first of all, isn't a bad thing. Changing your mind means you're learning and evolving. If you never change your mind, what that typically means if, is you you've never you're not really expanding your knowledge. You're not expanding your beliefs, and you're not thinking critically at all. Like it, it's good to kind of change your mind, and it's something like I'll happily admit. Like if I change my mind on a certain kind of training method or style of training or how I recommend executing an exercise, like I'll tell clients that I'll be like, right, well, I done this wrong, or I now think this, etc. When I thought that in the past, like I'll happily admit that because I think that's a good thing. Like if you've got a coach or for yourself or in any kind of way of life, if you never kind of change your beliefs or expand your kind of beliefs, then you're kind of being a wee bit kind of like close-minded. So it means you're learning and evolving first of all. So the first thing I want to touch on is data tracking. So data tracking is something that I've changed my belief on. So I've started kind of as uh, time has went on coaching started tracking less data for some of my clients like collecting more data isn't always better it's not always the right thing to do so obviously there's benefits of collecting data and some of them are like what we can measure we can manage meaning what we can measure we can keep an eye on we can ensure it's in a good spot Uh, whereas if we don't measure it then we might kind of be somewhat shooting in the wind but that doesn't mean we need to measure absolutely everything what i mean by that is if i've got a client for example and they're struggling with their training consistency they're in a gaining phase, they're struggling to gain weight, and I've gave them a step goal, what's the point in that? That time where they could be doing steps could be spent doing a quick session, preparing their nutrition, getting a meal in. Uh, So all those steps can have a positive impact when you're in a gaining phase. It's scenario and person dependent. For someone who's struggling to adhere to training and nutrition, then their time's probably not spent doing steps unless it's going to help their adherence with their nutrition which could be the case it can help appetite and digestion however bear in mind like I I need to bear in mind that not everyone wants to maybe have the same have like their fitness journey they don't want it to consume as much time as it maybe does for myself their goals maybe aren't as extreme as they are for myself so their commitments will of course be different for that so if you are kind of in a gaining phase or you are tracking certain variables, think why are you tracking them? Are they actually having any value or benefit for yourself? Because the benefit of tracking variables is it means you can kind of action certain things upon them. What I mean by that is like if I track my body weight, I know if I'm eating the right amount of food and I know if I should increase or decrease my food based upon my goals. And another example is like something I've not tracked this whole gaining phase after my pre-prep diet is my resting heart rate and blood pressure. The reason being is when I was peak gaining phase prior to dieting down, it was absolutely perfect. It's never really out of line. I've been doing cardio, so I know it's going to be in a good spot. So why should I spend a few minutes every week measuring my blood pressure and resting heart rate when I don't need to, if that makes sense? Because I know it's going to be in a good spot. So if I was someone who had maybe high blood pressure at times and need to to keep a close eye on it, then I'd introduce that certain metric to track, but for now I know it's completely fine. So I don't need to spend that time tracking it. So just a quick example of what would maybe make 
a variable valuable to track or not? Can you actually action anything from it? So next up, I want to touch on protein timing. So protein timing is something I've changed my belief on to an extent, and I'll get to that. And the reason being is when it comes to digesting a source of protein, it takes a good while depending on the protein source. And it's kind of, people kind of say that you should eat every two to three hours. However, think about how long a steak diet takes to digest. It can take a good eight hours or so. So you don't necessarily need to consume protein every two hours after that steak. Like it's not essential. Do I think eating every maybe three hours, two to three hours could be more optimal on paper? Definitely. And the reason being is when we think about just managing appetite, managing digestion, I think it's going to go a bit, go a long way when you are in a gaining phase. And uh, as well as that, it depends obviously the size of the protein serving. Let's say you've had 20 grams of protein, then you probably want to have another source of protein not long after because it's not a ton of protein. Whereas if you had a massive steak, you could probably go a good while without it because if you've ever, I know it's grim, but if you've ever been sick after eating kind of a steak or anything similar or just sick as a whole when you're on a night out or that or unwell, it's like you see bits of food that maybe even yet yesterday. So in the grand scheme of things, you've got amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein, still available in your in your digestive tract. So there's not a big sense of urgency to eat every kind of two hours. However, like I said, I do think on paper it's still beneficial for digestion, for appetite, and uh, still to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. But that's something I've kind of changed my view on. It, it depends on the protein source. Like if you're having like a, let's say you're having whey isolate, that can digest very fast. I believe it can take like an, an hour, maybe two to digest. So there you might want to get another source of protein in because you've not got any amino acids in your system. When you're dieting, for example, if you've not got any amino acids available, uh, then your body, and you're in a calorie deficit, then your body's going to take take that energy from elsewhere uh, for bodily processes. So in that case, it is kind of valuable having that protein. Same when you're gaining, really. But most of the time, like studies kind of touch on like protein timing, that sort of thing, and they touch on like, having a whey having like a whey protein shake or whatever post workout or that and like how long it takes to digest but most of the time or some of the time anyway people have protein with something else with it for example I have protein powder pre-bed whey isolate which digests really fast but I'll also couple that with a lot of uh, carbohydrates and also fat which slows the digestion of both protein and carbohydrates uh, so that is something to obviously consider but I don't think do I think if you want to get the most out of your progress that protein timer timing matters 110% and I think you should focus on it but maybe not as much as I f- thought it did in the past if that makes sense. So next up I'm going to touch on deloads. So deloads somewhat I've changed my mind on this year and not just this year but kind of throughout kind of the past few years I think the frequency and need for deloads aren't as important as people make out. If you are staying on track outside the gym, if you are kind of sleeping well, eating well, and kind of doing what you need to do in regards to the stress management, I believe you can push yourself a lot further than you think. And I believe spending unnecessary time deloading is time you could be spent progressing. What I mean by that is if you deload, if you plan in a deload every six weeks, that's one sixth of the year you're spending in a position where you're not, you're not building muscle that effectively, you're not doing appropriate or sufficient amount of volume 
or you're not training at all, so you're not going to progress that effectively. As well as that, like if you if you let's say you deload every twelve weeks, and that's obviously double or double the duration without a deload. And if you can recover from it, still progress, then what that basically means is that you are spending only one twelve of the year, arguably. Obviously, I've not done the maths and kind of doubled it to find out the space of a year, but in every 12 weeks, you're spending one twelfth of that in a position where you're maybe not building muscle as effectively as possible. So here you can see, like, if you deload very frequently, like, if you deload once, let's say you deload every two months, then that's going to add up. Like, that's going to be, like, a decent amount of the year. That's a six weeks out of the year of spending not in a position where you're building muscles effectively, which is a good month and a half, which is quite a lot in the grand scheme of things. And throughout this year, or, yeah, this year, I've kind of pushed myself quite a long time without deloading. I think I pushed myself, I think, uh, I can't remember what it was, but sometimes, like, in the past, I've deloaded, like, every six weeks or so just because I've had aches and pains, niggles uh, arise, uh, and I've had, like, uh, headaches come on, etc., from training, training in just ones. So I've kind of needed to deload, but when they aren't present, like... I pushed on, I think it was upwards of like 15 to 20 weeks and uh, so yeah I don't think deals are as maybe important as people make out managing fatigue is definitely important but doing so maybe through dealing isn't as important if you're nailing everything else depending on the individual if you are ridiculously strong if someone's let's say bench pressing 4 plates aside if they are squatting 6 plates aside then it's going to be much more important but for people like myself and people who may not have a ton of experience or strength, then I don't think it's as important. So, yeah, think about the ratio you're maybe spending actually deloading and, and is it counterproductive? And also, people usually deload without actually knowing it. And what I mean by that is they'll go away on holiday, they will also maybe <clears throat> be unwell at times, and for other reasons, they're actually kind of deloading unconsciously. So, you might not even have to plan them in. I would, I would personally, if I'm in my first few years of training, personally wouldn't plan them in unless you feel like you really need them. And the only way you kind of find out where your limits lies until you push yourself to them. And what I mean by that is, if you don't kind of visit your limits, you're never going to know where they are. So, in terms of how to find out when you need to deload, basically training until you're you're absolutely trashed, your lifts stop progressing, and you're in the gutters. Pretty much is a good kind of a good way to kind of establish your, what you could say, breaking point, where you need a deload. Obviously, be careful. Don't don't risk injury. And if you've got any aches or pains, listen to your body. Uh, but I don't think there is necessary for that reason. And something I have also may, maybe not changed my belief on, but has been reinforced to myself, is important. It's sort of like tempo and pausing your movements. And the reason being is, well, two reasons. First of all, injury. So, example of mine, client Graham, he has not the best knees. He has some shoulder issues as well. Uh, I don't think he's got any cartilage in one of his knees. I believe it's right off the top of my head. Could be the left. Sorry, Graham, if you listen to this. But, yeah, so he he can't get away with just chucking weight about. And if you do just chuck weight about, it eventually catches up with you. So we've had to be kind of really diligent over the last year plus to make sure our executions bang on, we're not setting ourselves up to get injured, etc. So kind of executions being something very valuable, or it always is valuable, but something we've 
played a big importance to in making sure we're pausing. And the benefit of pausing is it can remove passive tissues from moving the weight. So if, let's say, you pause at the bottom of a squat for two seconds, it can stop things like tendons, ligaments helping with that change of direction, help you kind of get the weight moving, and you're more likely to actually use your muscle tissue throughout that process, which is obviously something very valuable because we don't want to be putting that stress on our tendons, ligaments, etc. So and um, also means you've got greater ownership over the weight. If you're, let's say, doing a movement where you struggle to keep it on the target muscle or you struggle to connect with a body part, let's say you're doing a lap pull then and you're just chucking it and you're not being intentional about driving it down and maybe changing, controlling that change of direction, then it's going to be much harder to keep on that target muscle. Same when it comes to like rear delts. There's a lot, there's a lot of meat on your back. There's a lot of muscles that can do the work. So if you are just chucking the weight and not pausing it, not controlling the lowering phase much, not considering tempo or pausing movement or, well, pausing includes tempo, but not considering it, then the likelihood of you passing that weight over onto other tissues is going to be very high. So that's one very valuable benefit of just pausing weights or pausing movements sorry and something else I've changed my mind on or again not not so much kind of change my mind on but I've never thought it's not been important but it's been kind of reinforced to myself is the importance of the pump in the gym so the pump is basically blood flow when you get blood accumulated like in the target tissue you're training you get blood flow that can struggle to kind of escape that muscle tissue and my like obviously you get different thoughts so like the pump doesn't matter the pump does matter uh, the pump doesn't equate to muscle growth the way i look at it is it, having good execution having good effort is something that will lead to a pump is something that like a pump will be a byproduct of training effectively in the gym and when you think about it, like if you do think about if you if you take a set to failure with great execution then you're you're going to get like a great pump so it's a sign that you're training effectively for years i didn't really get much of a pump in my lats i struggled to target my lats my lats were a weak body part past year i've had like great pumps in my lats i've been able to target them much more effectively been on top of my tempo as well and my lats have grown i've also had good pumps in my lats session to session so if you've got a body part that you're struggling to grow and maybe you're not getting much of a pump in it, then maybe consider taking action to get, or maybe consider could your execution be better to get a pump, if that makes sense. Like if maybe, um, you let's say your quads, you never get a pump in your quads, but they're absolutely massive. Don't stress about it. They're obviously a body part that's growing in well when you're training well or genetically a strong point. However, if your quads suck and you never get a pump in it, you never get soreness, and that's probably a sign you could probably do something different in terms of your execution, your effort, or exercise selection. So it is something that I believe matters. Like if you are training effectively, you'll most likely get a pump. But it does depend on the rep range. If you're doing like a seven rep set, six rep set, you don't get a pump. Somewhat expected depending on the exercise. Whereas if you're doing a 15 rep set, zero pump, then that's more of a problem. And... Again, not so much something that I've changed my mind on or that, but something I've got better at is lat training. So lat training some probably one of the most difficult body parts to kind of target. Like I just spoke about, there's a lot of meat on your back. There's a lot of muscle tissues on the backside of your body, and there's a lot of things that can move the weight when you're training back. So to target your lats, unless you're genetically kind of gifted with targeting your lats, it's not something kind of easy to do. 
And most most of the time when people try and train lats, something that can help them is making sure they've got better tempo so that they can actually keep the weight on the target muscle and they're not just kind of throwing weight about or using a weight that's going to be hard to use the target muscle with. And some other tips when you're targeting your lat is keep your palm facing in or in and up slightly, which will influence your elbow position. You ideally want your elbow roughly in line with your shoulder and that will put you in a good position to target your lats. Like I said, make sure you're considering tempo and you're not just chucking weight about. Also, make sure if you're targeting your lat, you're not arching your back. When you arch your back, you're putting yourself in a disadvantage to use your lat musculature. So if you're wanting to train your lats, keep your core tight, like almost you're doing a plank, keeping a neutral spine throughout. Focus on driving the elbow to your hip. Some people, when they're doing like a pull down or that or a row, their hands finish very high and the weight finishes high. You want ideally your elbow to finish low and your hands to finish relatively low so you're not challenging the biceps and uh, potentially the upper back as well, depending on how you do it. Uh, also, single arm movements can be good for training the lats as well. And uh, just making sure that you are like picking movements you find you you get on well with and not being afraid to kind of stray away from the bread and butter movements. So yes, kind of the movements like bent over rows, deadlifts do have their place, but if you just do them and you don't consider other movements that may be quote-unquote isolation or quote-unquote fluff work, that may target areas like your lats and you're probably going to have weak lats eh, because you don't train your lats very much during a bent over row or during a deadlift variation. So it's not just about doing the basics, it's about doing the basics, but also other movements that will add add tissue on your physique as well, add tissue on areas that maybe the basics won't cover. So a good way to kind of think about it is the basics or quote-unquote the bread and butter movements, big barbell movements, dumbbell movements, they are to kind of hit most of the musculature, whereas things like a single arm lat pull-down or single arm row, they're to kind of hit where those bread and butter, the big movements kind of miss, if that makes sense. And personally, like, making sure that I am doing those kind of smaller isolation movements and doing them well has helped massively my ability to improve my physique. So don't be don't be afraid to kind of do those movements eh, because they are very beneficial, hence why they are popular. But just don't, just if you're doing them, make sure you still have intent with it. Make sure you're still ad- applying adequate amount of load and make sure you're still doing those other movements, the quote-unquote bread and butters or compound movements that will also give you a, a lot of reward. Something else I've changed or changed my or what's been what yeah pretty much what I've changed my mind on is just because you can progress load or lift more doesn't mean you should like after my twenty twenty three prep so after no it wasn't twenty twenty three it was twenty twenty two sorry after competing in twenty twenty two I was gaining strength at quite a fast rate just due to coming out of a aggressive deficit that was in for thirty odd weeks and. As a result, like my strength was kind of flying up and on things like the hack squat and the leg press, like I was performing very well, leg training was going amazing and I was progressing super fast. And my execution wasn't bad, but I could have potentially executed better and thought about doing that and increasing the quality instead of just adding weight, adding weight, adding weight. Because I was kind of neck and neck with someone who kind of trains in the gym with myself. And uh, I was just kind of wanting to keep chasing him, keep keep progressing at the same rate and try and overtake him etc and I just absolutely battered my knees during that time and I had really bad tendonitis in my knees which set me back for at least a month I believe or I think well over a month actually and I couldn't really leg press for a good while without pain I couldn't squat at one point without pain 
uh, and even leg extension kind of didn't feel amazing. So I had to kind of leave legs altogether for a week and then just do isolation. So if you are kind of dealing with any injuries or that, like listen to the warning signs, which is something I'm just about to get to. But yeah, just because you can progress weight doesn't mean you, you should. Sometimes it's good to be patient in scenarios like that. Like if a muscle's not feeling good, maybe working a high rep range, maybe adding a pause to make it harder, but you don't always have to slam more weight on the bar. That's not really something I've done kind of wrong, maybe, but it's just something I could have been a bit more smarter with uh, from my training. And in terms of the next thing I want to touch on, it is like listening to warning signs when it comes to injuries. So most of the time when you have injuries kind of occur, you can see you can see them come about prior. And what I mean by that is if let's say you hurt oh for example, I tweaked my back deadlifting. My back wasn't feeling a hundred percent prior to that. As a result, hurt my back set me back quite a while or yeah it's still not 100% so it's like most of the time you can see them kind of you can see them before they happen and what you could do instead is just listen to your body and kind of resolve it before it gets more of an issue if that's missing a movement for a week or lightening the load or improving execution and I did do those things my that my back did feel better when I was going in the gym but then I came back from a holiday after sitting on a flight for good four hours or a bit more than that. And then as well as that, like I wasn't doing mobility work well as away, my body weight was down, so like let be just be careful. It's like because ultimately you can't train when you're injured. The best thing you can do for long term progression, as well as training ridiculously hard with good execution, is staying injury free. And obviously having good execution will help with that, but also listening to your body. So if something is sore if you do have warning signs that something doesn't feel great listen to your body don't just work through any sort of pain because it ends up biting you back and it means you need to take more time off if that makes sense but if you just kind of nip it in the bud if you just solve it kind of straight away or promptly then you can save yourself a lot of hassle maybe money on physio and uh, basically time where you could be of time where you could be spending training productively so hope you've enjoyed the episode and uh, thanks very much for everyone's support on the podcast throughout this year. I really, really appreciate anyone who's shown any form of support. And if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, please feel free to like, subscribe. Any form of support is massively appreciated. I greatly appreciate it. And if you did listen to it till the end, feel free to share it on your story and tag me so I can personally thank you. So hope everyone has a great new year when it comes. Has had a great Christmas and I'll catch you in the new year for the first episode of 2024.